Section 3 of The Beginning of the Middle Ages by Richard William Church. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 2 The New Nations, Part 1. The disappearance of the emperors of the West did not mean the complete and immediate disappearance of the laws, ideas, and political organization of the Roman Empire in Europe. These went on for a time in appearance almost unchanged, and it was only by degrees and by successive shocks that the old order gave place to the new one which was now beginning. Odoacer, who ruled from 476 to 493, was the most powerful man in Italy, without even a nominal rival. But Odoacer was not emperor. He was only a Teutonic king, without even a special and national, much less a territorial title. He was a king of nations, of a mixed army, among whom he had divided the third part of the lands of Italy, while to the Italians he was the Roman patrician, appointed by the distant emperor at Constantinople over the diocese of Italy. The name and place of emperor were void in the West, but there never was a time from 476 to 800 when the Roman Empire was supposed not to exist. There was still for some time the Roman Senate, the Roman Consulship, the Roman Praetorian Prefect, the Roman Municipal and Financial Administration, the Roman law by which life was ruled, when this law did not come in conflict with the policy, the usages, the will of the new masters. But though there was no longer an emperor in the West, there was still a Roman emperor, the emperor who ruled at Constantinople, the greatest and most majestic personage in the world, who, though far off and busily occupied with affairs of his own, had not relinquished his claims to recognition and allegiance in the West, and continued to assert them, sometimes with strength and success. But though at the time the greatness of the change was obscured by the stubborn tenacity of many surviving parts of the strong Roman organization, the old imperial system had really passed away, and the new national system, which was henceforth to prevail in Europe, had come into existence. The empire had begun to give place to a number of new kingdoms or attempted kingdoms, which, though they sometimes sought a formal recognition from Constantinople, had no longer to reckon seriously with the central authority, but only with one another, for their limits and power. When they encountered, as they did sometimes with fatal result, the forces of the Eastern Empire, the barbarians were no longer the invaders but the invaded protecting what had become their own from a foreign foe, not really resisting the authority or encroaching on the dominions of the successors of the Caesars. In the hundred years which followed the fall of the empire, years of wild confusion and havoc, amid which are seen the first efforts after reorganization and order, two great questions emerge and give interest to a scene in which we should otherwise see nothing but the shock of conflicting barbarisms. One was the question, which of the two great Teutonic races, the Goths or their rivals the Franks, should be the ruling race of the West? The other, dependent on the first, was, which should be the creed of Europe, the Catholic faith or Arianism? 
In the decision of these two questions, so eventful and so critical, the whole significance of the history centers. Odoacer, the chief of an army composed of several Teutonic races, was in fact, though not in name, the first king of Italy. But in him the barbarian chieftain hardly rose above the level of a successful soldier. The qualities of a statesman first showed themselves in his conqueror and successor, the famous Theodoric. Theodoric was the hereditary chieftain of a tribe of the eastern Goths, whom the easy success and prosperity of Odoacer tempted from their wasted seats by the Danube to dispute with him the great prize of Italy. The Gothic race had the start of all the barbarians in culture, in apparent aptitude for civil life, in gentleness of manners. They had been longer than any others established in portions of the provinces as allies and subjects of the state, and it might have seemed that of all they were most adapted to reinvigorate and restore, without destroying, what had become degenerate and enfeebled. Theodoric added to the daring and energy of a Gothic chief the knowledge gained by a civilized education at Constantinople. He was the head, not of a chance army of mixed races, but of a homogeneous tribe which reverenced in his family, the race of the Amals, a royal line. And he was the first of the Teutonic conquerors who attempted to carry out the idea not merely of administering a conquest, but of founding and governing a state. His distinct policy was to unite Goths and Italians into one people without breaking down the customs or the special privileges of either. If Goths were his soldiers, Latins were his counselors and administrators, and he chose these among the best and ablest of the Latins, men like Boethius, Symmachus, and Cassiodorus. Theodoric fixed his royal residence sometimes at Verona, but mainly at Ravenna, the capital of the last western emperor since Honorius. The first of the Teutonic kings, he caught from the Romans their taste for that great art in which the Teutonic family was in time to become so famous, and which was to preserve the Gothic name when the Gothic nations had disappeared. In the churches which he built at Ravenna, in his palace, in his tomb, he emulated the massive grandeur of the Roman builders. The kingdom of Theodoric, of which the seat was in Italy, while its more loosely governed borderlands stretched from Gaul to the Danube, exercised a new and commanding influence in the group of Teutonic states which were growing up in the West. In Theodoric we have perhaps the first example of a definite policy of domestic alliances for public ends. He connected his house with all the German kings of the West, West Goths, Burgundians, Franks, Vandals, Thuringians. We have a curious and instructive picture of the internal administration of the new Gothic kingdom and its various departments, preserved in a large collection of the business letters of Cassiodorus, Theodoric's Latin secretary and minister. Theodoric's reign of thirty-three years stained though it was at its close by strange outbreaks of suspicious cruelty, was the first example of a real effort on a large scale made by the Teutonic conquerors to pass from barbarism to civilization, to create out of their conquests a fatherland, a city, and a state. It was an attempt to give body and form, however rudely and imperfectly, to the new idea of a Christian kingdom and country, 
which was to supplant the idea which had hitherto held exclusive possession of men's minds, that of the Roman Empire. In the other Teutonic kingdoms which had come into existence in the 5th century, though in none of them was seen the statesmanship and large attempts of Theodoric, the same tendency was at work toward distinctness and consolidation. Gundobad, 491 to 516, the Burgundian refugee in Rikimer's camp, whom a strange chance had once invested with the power of giving an emperor to the West, had, after bloody domestic quarrels, returned to introduce some kind of law and order in his kingdom on the Rhone and Sonne. The Vandal kingdom in Africa from 429 to 534, founded and so long sustained by the crafty and relentless policy of Geyseric, still retained the impress given to it by its founder, in being the most oppressive to the Roman population of all the barbarian kingdoms and by being least influenced by their civilization. The kingdom of the western Goths in Gaul from 412 to 507, the people of Alaric, settled in Spain and Aquitaine with Toulouse and Bordeaux for their capitals, had grown in power and extent during the last disasters of the empire. One of the last acts of the imperial government, in the very agony of its dissolution, was to surrender to the Gothic king Euric the volcanic highlands of Auvergne, the last refuge in the midst of his dominions of Latin culture and independence. Euric ruled over the greater part of southern Gaul and a part of Spain from 466 to 484, and in renown and pretensions, and in a measure too, in his attempts to adjust by definite law the relations of conquerors and conquered, was a counterpart, though an imperfect one, of the great king who was to create the sister kingdom of the East Goths at Ravenna. These were all Gothic kingdoms, or were connected with the Gothic migration and settlement, and to the Gothic race. On the extinction of the empire, the inheritance of its power seemed to have fallen. And besides the tie of race and neighborhood, these first founders of the nations of the West and South, who had not only broken up the Roman Empire, but had parceled it out as colonists and settlers, were also bound together by the tie of religion. Goths, Burgundians, Vandals, were already Christians when they conquered and divided the lands of the empire. They had mostly been converted beyond the limits of the Western Empire, and they carried with them their own bishops and their Gothic Bible, the translation of Ulfila, 310-380, the oldest written literature in any Teutonic tongue but they had been converted and had received their Christianity on the borders of the Greek provinces of the empire at a time when the court religion of Constantinople under Constantius was Arianism, 337-361. The earliest Teutonic kingdoms of Christendom were Arian, either tolerant as under Theodoric, or systematically and unsparingly persecuting as with the Vandals and sometimes the West Goths. In either case they were attached to their creed, if only as a national distinction from the Roman population. In these Gothic kingdoms not only new political powers were forming, but a new religious power, the rival of the Catholic Church, was making its appearance in the West. This new religious power, Arianism, 
came into conflict with religious beliefs which had already taken the firmest hold on the Latin population in the West and in Africa, and it threatened whatever was deepest and most cherished in their convictions. But this Gothic supremacy was soon challenged. While their Arian creed placed them in permanent opposition to the Catholic bishops, who, in the breakup of the empire, had become the real leaders of the Latin population, other Teutonic tribes, later in the race of conquest, fresh from their old habits of savage war, and still retaining their heathen religion and their untamed ferocity, came into the field to claim their part in the spoils of the empire. In the revolutions which followed, it was no longer simply the Latin race against the Teutonic, but different members of the Teutonic stock against one another. And to the rivalry and feuds of races, nearly allied but strongly opposed in interests and habits, was added also the opposition of creeds. End of section 3